podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we have uh, two awesome guests with us, and I'm, I'm really excited uh, for this conversation. Uh, Hikari Senju and Matt Swally from Omniki, and I hope I said that right. I'm getting the thumbs up. Welcome to the show, Matt and Hikari. So excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, Kyle, thank you so much for having us. Let me introduce both of you very briefly, and then you can tell us a little bit more about yourselves. But Hikari is the founder and CEO of Omniki, uh, which he founded after selling his previous startup and saw the opportunities in generative AI to solve marketing problems. And Matt Swally is the co-founder and chief business officer of OmniKey, uh, which is an AI marketing platform. And we're going to talk a lot more about it, and I'm very, very excited about that. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourselves? Sure. So um, my quick background is uh, I studied computer science at Harvard, um, uh, started one company, a couple of venture back companies in college. One of them was a personalized education platform, uh, and then uh, that company was acquired and then, and then saw this opportunity in generative AI. I'm happy to dive in also into a bit more once Matt does his background as well in terms of how we, you know, really positioned OmniKey in the early days and kind of got exactly to this point and getting the initial product out and such. Really excited. Again, thank you so much for having us, Kyle, and uh, really excited to share our story and our views and kind of how the environment's changing. And Kyle, I joined OmniKey as full-time employee number three, and I came... So when I joined the team, Hikari was running uh, virtually everything sales engineering related, um, was was doing running a lot of different things. He hired me on as like the first business person. And I, I brought 13 years of experience from AT&T. I did lots and lots of different things at AT&T over the years from moving all around the country, from Chicago to Atlanta, to, to Southern California, to Dallas, first starting out in outside sales, like making the old school cold calls where you're picking up the phone, thousands of them, and then led sales teams up and down the California coast, and then moved to the Dallas headquarters and led sales organizations and was a chief of staff for the global business officer that ran our multinational uh, relationships, multi-billion dollar segment, and got some big picture experience, got my MBA and joined uh, the corporate strategy team at AT&T, where that was really a defining moment where I got the opportunity to look at big data, uh, financial analysis, and help tell stories with data. And during this time, I was also looking into like really exciting companies and found Hikari, who is the most driven visionary leader in, in, in AI. And I, I met him and he had this great vision on how to, to grow the company using AI. And uh, yeah, it's been so fun after getting the opportunity to join him. That's incredible. And such different backgrounds. And I want to talk more about that. Uh, because you both have such varied experience and bringing that into uh, your current company, OmniKey, which you know we're going to talk more about. Uh, but before we do that, before we get into more of, of both of your backgrounds of the current company, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you like to do outside of the office? I know yeah. what Hikari likes to do. <laughs> I, love to, I love to read. I love to I love to golf. I love to uh, do sports and exercise and ski and um, just staying active and always learning. And yeah, better person. I like I like competing. Yeah, yeah. Hikari fenced in college and has become a really good golfer. As he he works like crazy, but he's become a really really good golfer through the like the two years yeah, I've worked together. And then yeah. my, for me. Um, I love sports and, and learning, of course. We have to keep up on AI. We, we're listening to a lot of that, but I have two little kids. So I have a five-month-old and a four-year-old. So everything is either, there's two sides, everything with OmniKey, which I love, and then my family, which it's like constant um, having, going to the park, doing things, helping teach your kids. But yeah. really, though, especially being in San Francisco, there's so many, every, every evening, every weekend, there's so many like hackathons, events, uh, like things to like do in terms of just even outside of work as well in terms of staying up to date in the, in the industry. And so that does take up like the vast majority of my time, just like attending all the events, attending all the hackathons, meeting thinkers and other players in the, in the space, other founders, et cetera. In San Francisco, the line between work and play is very, it's a very like thin line slash no line. So it's, you're always kind of out there 
uh, either actively working on the business or kind of in an auxiliary thing, doing things that are te- very tangentially related to the business. Absolutely. So true. Uh, great. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to some of the reading as well towards the end because uh, we'll want to know some of the things that uh, you, you potentially want to share with us. But I'm, I'm interested because uh, you talked a little bit about your background uh, in, you know, prior to founding OmniKey, uh, which, you know, obviously was some other venture-backed startups and you're bringing other companies to market, eventually selling them, and then you know starting to see more problems uh, in the market, specifically around what OmniKey is trying to solve. So, you know, maybe you can kind of walk us through. You know, sure, what absolutely. was it like selling your other company, which prior to OmniKey was Quick Help, and then you know noticing some of these other problems in the market, and then working to really validate that and, and, and start OmniKey. Yeah, so really the path for OmniKey starts way before Quick Help. Um, it, it starts really, you know, it's the kind of, it, it is the mission of my, of my life to make, make OmniKey as big as I can. It's, this is a multi-decade journey and, you know, only, only uh, four and a half years, almost, you know, now five years into this journey, but half a decade. But this, the, the plan here is really multi-decades. Um, I grew up in Westchester, New York. Uh, my grandfather worked at IBM, grew up in a tech family. And, uh, and so always like growing up, it was always about Moore's law, innovate or die, the kind of the exponential rate with technology improves. I'd gone to Harvard and MIT and these other schools and ultimately chose to go to Harvard studying computer science, but cross-registered at MIT. And it was really at MIT, you know, almost a decade ago where I saw the early, you know, I was participating in a lecture where seeing some of the early computer vision algorithm demos, but then also kind of reverse engineering the computer vision, del- uh, uh, computer vision algorithms to generate content, right? So the way computer vision learn- works is, it learns these, um, uses neural nets, right? And it kind of identifies characteristics of what makes a dog a dog or a cat a cat. And it combines these different patterns and notices uh, to then identify objects. So like whiskers on a cat or ears, et cetera. Um, but then the really interesting demo that I was seeing at this lecture was you can actually have it kind of hallucinate those embeddings and then ultimately use something known as generative adversarial networks to generate content. Um, and that was a very, very, uh, and this is, you know, before or really before, uh, you know, graduating college, that what got, what, what got me very excited about generative AI. That if I could be involved somehow in some capacity to help build this technology, that would be one of the most coolest, you know, ways of dedicating one's life. And uh, the reason why I was so psyched about this also is because my dad's a painter, and so the idea of an AI being creative, the AI, the idea of an AI being an artist, was like, you know, the intersection of so many of my influences growing up. Uh, between technology and art and that at that point I wasn't really clear what the business opportunities was and I'm an entrepreneurial person I started a couple of venture back companies in college and so one of them was a personalized learning application an online tutoring business called quick help uh, and a lot of it was about matching the right tutors to the right students depending on the problem they had uh, the, the challenges they had in terms of their homework or in terms of some coursework uh, and then also um, creating personalized coursework for uh, uh, and learning systems for those students. And in some ways, I kind of like to imagine that OmniKey is also an extension of that because advertising is ultimately education at scale, right? The same principles that work for teaching somebody an important concept applies to uh, communicating important value props in advertising. And so um, this, uh, so, you know, scale this company, Quick Help, which is all about personalized education, personalized learning to a certain size, it was acquired by another ad tech company in the Bay Area where I led marketing. And then that was, it was then running marketing that I saw this opportunity to combine this passion I had in generative AI with a real business opportunity, uh, which was in scaling creative testing and multivariate testing for advertisers and marketers uh, with this vision of generating all personalized experiences with, with AI. And in the early days, and this is you know 20, 2018, May, so really five years ago now, the technology wasn't completely there yet, right? Uh, you know, Dolly, ChatGPT, this is way in the future. But what was there was something known as transformers. Uh, and transformers uh, let you really start generating uh, sentences, creative sentences, pretty decently. Uh, and this was the era of, you know, GPT-1, right? A generative pre-trained transformer, right, is, is what GPT stands for. And, uh, and then you can start building you know, at least a copy edit, copy generation product uh, based on early uh, transfer models. There was also another transfer model called BERT. Uh, and there was this famous paper from Google called Attention is All You Need that kind of showcased some of the, the you know, how, how the, the, the revolutionary potential of transformers. And so 
utilizing transformers and then utilizing stock imagery initially, you know, started with kind of the first iteration of OmniKey. Um, but that, uh, and, then, and then kind of strategically, right, the vision was, well, in a couple of years, you know, understanding Moore's law, understanding the, the kind of exponential rate which technology improves, AI will get very good at generating imagery and media and video as well. And then so what were the potential moats? You know, assuming there's going to be increased competition a couple of years down the line, when this technology uh, finally gets to the point where I thought it was going, uh, what were the modes? And the moat really uh, kind of identified two modes early on, uh, which was uh, brand and data integrations and data. And so really started very early on from 2018, number one, establishing OmniKey's brand as the leading, or as at that point, the only generative AI company focused on advertisers. And then also working and building data integrations with all the different platforms, uh, starting with Facebook. And it's not easy to get API access, advertising API access to these platforms. They don't let any random hacker build an app on top of their ad network. Uh, you do need to have a track record of running ads first before you get API access to these platforms. So a lot of the early days was focused on building up those integrations and then also building up the tools to get access to those APIs. And so the very first product we launched, right? And this is your question about how do we go about validating this idea early on was a design analytics tool. So from 2018 to 2020, all OmniKey was, was a tool to provide design insights and design analytics using marketing data and advertising data and computer vision. And then around 2020, January 2020, we launched uh, the first generative language and then uh, image generation product. Uh, and then, you know, then obviously since then we've really scaled quickly. But um, the early days really focused on building a brand, building data integrations, doing a great job with insights and getting good actionable insights from marketing data using computer vision, uh, design insights. And the problem at that point that was very clear in terms of communicating to customers was that there's a lot of great analytics tools out there uh, for, mar uh, for, for marketers or for product managers or for salespeople, but that there weren't really great tools for designers uh, in terms of analytics. And traditionally, this was because analytics was not really, uh, design wasn't really quantifiable. Design was a very intuitive based thing. Uh, but with computer vision, design can be turned into a science. Design can be quantified. And if you can quantify design, then you can build a great analytics engine for uh, an analytics platform for designers and then build um, a platform focused on design. And so that was the very first product, uh, Design Insights, Design Analytics, then uh, the other uh, products subsequently after that. That is... It's really, really fascinating, especially going back to really see kind of the evolution of how does a lot of this come about? Because when we're looking at it right now, it feels almost like this explosion of, of tools and possibility, which, you know, it definitely has been. But a lot of this has been the groundwork for it has been there for, for quite a bit longer. And, and I think those of us who have been working with it, you know, know that there has been a lot of the components there. And a lot of this has really just started to come together in, in a meaningful way. And like you said, it's, it's the scale of it has just started to rapidly, rapidly grow. I think one point to note is that arguably Google has been sitting on this technology for some time, right? So you had, you know, this famous uh, incident where a Google researcher got fired because they were having a conversation with Google's chatbot at that time internally. It was called Lambda. Uh, that had very chat GPT-like features. This is a couple of years ago. And... And, um, and, you know, they made this big fuss and then they got fired and it was like, you know, Google's like, no, there's nothing to look at here. There's nothing, nothing to look at here. So arguably you can say that this technology had been advancing quite rapidly internally within these big companies for some time, but finally with OpenAI being very aggressive as a startup, releasing ChatGPT to the public and then Microsoft using that, um, and very, you know, also being kind of risk on in this way, it's kind of unleashed this tidal wave of research that has been advancing on its own rate internally within these big companies and within research institutions, but just uh, now has achieved some level of consumer awareness because the floodgates have opened. Yeah, I think you make a great point. And one that I was, it, it was yesterday as of this recording, but recently as as of when people will hear this, that, uh, you know, the, the godfather of AI, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, left Google. And part of it, I think he, he referenced that specifically, is that, you know, a lot of this was being developed uh, what he said responsibly and and relatively slowly within a lot of these companies but with the advent of so many things happening you started to see almost this uh, just risk on approach to to what's going on and and everybody started to really put things forward 
much more quickly in a way that you know we've seen just uh, kind of explode recently uh, with a yeah. lot of the advances that we're seeing. Yeah, I would say there's basically three big technological innovations that kind of cumulatively happened to this point, right? So first off, there's deep learning, right? This is this is uh, Jeffrey Hinton neural networks using neural networks to teach machines uh, patterns, and then uh, and then you have uh, and then predictive patterns, right? This is the era of like predictive machines, predicting the next sentence, you know, predicting the next word in a sentence, right? And that's actually not easy, right? Because um, in order to predict the next word in a sentence, you actually need to understand conceptually what that sentence was. Um, then you have transformers, right? And and uh, and then transformers is really kind of the you know latter half of of the twenty tens where you have sort of these generative algorithms, right? Image generation and, and copy generation, and then now with ChatGPT. Uh, and open and OpenAI, you have um, RLHF, right? Reinforcement learning with human feedback, and you can say that this is really the key thing that's been really pushing the recent wave of really useful applications uh, that are powered tools like ChatGPT. And so, uh, it's these. I would say these kind of three big uh, kind of technologies that have kind of built on top of each other, that along with kind of Moore's law and the exponential rate, rate which this underlying you know transistors and semiconductors become more powerful, you know, powered so the more uh, even exponential rate in which the, the, the power of the, the computers and the data is getting uh, more, you know, uh, that, that, that compounding element, plus these key innovations that really kind of result in these like insane breakthroughs in technology. Absolutely. I'm interested, you know, as we're kind of diving into this topic more, you know, where, where do you see things going from here? You know, obviously there has been a lot happening and a lot that will continue to happen at a rapid pace. You know, where do you see things going, both in in a good way and and you know potentially in in other ways as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always really hard to predict, right? Because innovation and cre human creativity and the the creativity of human of collective humanity is so vast, and so it's 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 hard to predict these things always. But I, I think the impact it has on these big tech companies is pretty real, right? Um, you have Google's dependency on search, right? And and you know traditionally, you know, they kind of going back to the history of of, of, of Silicon Valley is that you know, before Google, you had you know the people, you had the other search engines, right? And they're mostly based on summarizing web pages and linking based on summarizations. And then Google had this really innovative concept of actually a better way of ranking uh, web pages is by um, you know using reverse like reverse links, uh, basically kind of like a citation for for a paper, right? Um, but then now we're at an, and, and then they build a really good search business on this. But the, the reality now is actually summarizing uh, content may actually be better at recommending answers to questions than uh, links, right? Uh, and so now actually the under, uh, fundamental innovation of under, underlying search, underpinning search, this idea of reverse links, not actually recommending as more as as, as effective content as 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 this kind of massive neural networks that just summarize content and just ingest massive tons of content. Uh, is is actually an existential concern for Google, and the other big thing being there is that you know the competitor here, Microsoft, Bing, uh, OpenAI is. I mean, they you know people say what you know is OpenAI ever going to make money or things like this, but Microsoft can lose money from OpenAI and ChatGPT every day. I mean, they they have other income streams, right? They just um, they can uh, give up you know give ChatGPT for free and just bleed Google dry, and Google's main income stream is search. You know, this is just another project of Microsoft, and, and and as long as it can generate demand for maybe their cloud business or for their other consumer products, like that's a big that's a big success for Microsoft. And I think you know we've seen interesting situations here in the past, like when Amazon entered Hollywood, right? And Amazon had Amazon Prime to produce like these great movies, right? And Amazon could lose all day on lose money all day on their movies and TV shows because as long as it could convert to selling subscribers. Uh, and by getting subscribers for like their you know um, uh, home home goods service, like that was a win for them, right? So then the the traditional business model of these content industries is starting like producers suddenly becoming very endangered because their main form of making money, which is to make a profit, ideally with the content they're producing, suddenly just becomes a lead uh, like a lead source for an Amazon. And likewise, we're seeing a similar situation with Microsoft, Google, where Microsoft can just generate leads, can make zero money on ChatGPT. And just generate leads for their other forms of business. Well, Google's main form of income is is still search, um, and so there there is some real kind of existential challenges that these uh, that these technologies bring to some of the big companies. I think the other big, uh, really big question that this technology brings to, especially the big players in the industry, is Section 230, right? So 
you know, Section 230 is this great, you know, kind of pushed by you know, people say Al Gore invented the Internet. And, you know, I think Al Gore uh, had a big component to the Internet, partly because of this, this, this bill, right, and this, this law, which is that it gives legal immunity for, uh, for platforms like Google or Facebook, uh, Meta, Twitter, to, to kind of recommend content without being liable for that content, right? And arguably, you can say that that is protected because links are not opinions, right? Or, an, uh, or maybe even a newsfeed isn't necessarily an opinion. But when, the, uh, when the, the content is now being communicated in the form of a, of a, of a chat, right? When you're chatting with Microsoft and Microsoft is giving you an answer, uh, their, their chatbot is giving you an answer, it def definitely seems like an opinion uh, from that, pump, that company. And then it's very much a question in terms of, is that then you know, protected speech as a public, you know, as a as like some kind of a utility, or is it really more of a publisher? Is is Microsoft or even Bing uh, or potentially Google Bard now less of a utility and more of a publisher of opinion uh, when they're summarizing other people's sites and they're communicating those summarizations to you as an answer in there from from the Google chatbot or from the Microsoft chatbot? And then, if that is the case, if it is very hard to differentiate the platform from the opinion that they're recommending then the legal protection that these platforms have, whether it's Meta or Twitter or Google uh, or YouTube, uh, it really starts getting into question, right? Like, can they, like, you know, if Microsoft chat engine says some recommend, you know, answers some question that destroys someone's reputation, you know, can you go and sue Microsoft for that, for, for, for defamation there, right? And is that legally protected? Are they a utility or are they a publisher? And so those are some of the, I think, big, impacts that this technology will have today, even in the, tech, in the state of technology that is today with the business models it implicates for, for all these big tech companies. Um, and then, you know, in some ways, these big tech companies have benefited from this free launch, right? That they didn't need to produce, um, they didn't need to spend any money on content because they would just use other, you know, UGC content to monetize against. They would, you know, it used to be traditionally, right, that you know, if you were a newspaper, for example, you'd have to go and you know, hire journalists to do investigative reporting and, and find good content that you would then run ads against. The business model of, you know, Meta or Twitter or YouTube was that, well, the users will provide the content for free and then we can still run ads and it's a free lunch. There's no cost and infinite, uh, infinite um, margin, essentially, for those businesses. Those days might be, might be increasingly limited because of two concerns. Number one, whether those, you know, that is, you know, when an algorithm recommends a piece of content, whether that is really more of a publisher than, than, a, than, a, than, a, than the utility, number one. Number two is whether the, uh, uh, like, uh, the, uh, the, the act of, like, the act of, like, the, the act of recommending that content is, well, I, I mean, anyway, so, like, I, I think those are some of the, like, big questions that the, the this technology bring, brings to mind, right, is, is, like, what is the nature of communication uh, online and how content is being generated or recommended from these platforms? I'll take a little bit different spin on it here, Kyle, is it is crazy to think um, everyone needs to start becoming an AI expert. Maybe not the top level, but everyone's jobs are changing. Finance, accounting, strategic, strategic roles that were formerly, you know, people that learned how to work with numbers and stuff. But AI is going to improve efficiencies for all these jobs. And if you don't know how to use it, you are in for disruption. So I think another thing AI is... In, advancements right now is doing it's it's leveling the playing field for a barrier of entry for some people because a lot of these tools can be used if you go learn them that used to be not as accessible and if you don't jump on this bandwagon and start reskilling up right now you're going to get left behind i mean we're moving so fast right now every single person at omnikey is trying to innovate led by hikari but i mean like you have to spend hours a day testing these tools that are coming out to figure out how we can piece together the different pieces make your role more efficient, continue to make sure that, you know, you're providing the right value to the customers and, and across the board. Absolutely. And I, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more because I, one, absolutely agree. And, and two, feel like there's so much there. From your perspective and what you two are seeing, let's say somebody isn't as uh, used to working with uh, AI tools, or you know, they're just starting to get into some of these things. There are tons uh, out there right now, and tons coming out. It feels like every day. You know, what would be, in your opinion, you know, the right way to start, either broadly 
using and, and becoming knowledgeable about some of these? And then, you know, what would be maybe some of the specific things that you would suggest, you know, here are some of the key things that you should be learning regardless of your role in order to start integrating this into what you're doing or into your business? Yeah, so I would definitely suggest starting with playing around with chat GBT. I would suggest looking at some of the, you know, for, for um, auto GBT agents, uh, there's a lot of really great, you know, and you, it, these are publicly available on GitHub. You can download these repos, play around with them locally. Um, you, you don't need to have massive coding skills or even like just basic, if you, I think, take an intro to CS course, you can probably get an auto GBT agent spinning and mm -hmm. doing tasks for you if you give it a good goal. You know, it's, it's, these are very, very, very powerful tools. Uh, and I think that power becomes imminently, like, you know, very imminent when you start playing around with them. Um, and then the other big thing I would say is, you know, I would suggest like taking, there's great courses on Coursera on AI. Uh, and, and then there's other learning platforms as well. And so definitely taking, you know, again, you can like speed watch through these courses at 2x speed if you don't have the time or something. But I would definitely, for those that are interested in understanding underlying technology, checking out Coursera and some of these other, other learning platforms uh, and just quickly reading through and listening and, and, and watching the content regarding uh, like, you know, their intro to AI course or some of the more AI, other, other AI coursework. I'd say becoming an AI prompt engineer is another aspect of it is like, it takes a lot of experimenting to figure out what resonates for a lot of these technologies, the ones that we use. Like I use the OmniKey product so many times in a day because <laughs> we've built all these amazing algorithms that generate images, text, all this stuff. And you, we have tons of demos, Kyle. Like, so we are meeting with, oh, a couple hundred customers a month. So we get feedback from all these customers and you figure out how to tell their story in a short period of time using these AI tools. And you have to get really good at prompt, like prompting the AI. And that's like where a lot of our learning comes from. Like, what are those inputs that we can go enhance and make it easier for our customers? Um, but it's a, it's a skill that you have to continually work at to know what to say. Otherwise, you're not gonna get the same type of results with some of these like basic AI tools. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested in a couple points that you made there. But, you know, first off, how are you seeing, you know, AI changing the the way that we do marketing and advertising generally? So as you're working, obviously, within OmniKey, but, you know, with a lot of customers and users who are either experimenting or actually using it uh, frequently, you know, what has been some of the things that you've seen and learned and and where do you see that going, you know, as, as it continues to both catch uh, steam and, and mature going forward? So AI has been underpinning a lot of these technologies uh, for some time before, you know, before ChatGPT, right? So Google, Google's ad networks, Google's ad platforms, the ad recommendation engines underpinning you know, Meta and Google and, and others have a lot of the capabilities uh, that we're, you know, now uh, 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 kind of experiencing with, with ChatGPT and other tools uh, for some time, right? They, they, they had been doing this research internally and, and then been uh, integrating this, 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 con uh, uh, this technology in terms of recommending ads at the right time, at the, you know, to the right people, um, uh, showcasing the right ad on the, on the right uh, publishers at the right time, et cetera. And so um, now that, that this technology is available for, you know, for, for anyone, right, or for definitely more people. And what that unleashes, I think, is just an order of magnitude more creativity. You know, we're working right now on building agents that, you know, do competitor research for customers and, you know, make sense of all the unstructured data that customers may have in terms of all the documents and, and providing recommendations, marketing recommendations based on all the documents and assets and files that they may have stored internally. Um, you know, we're working on building new human computer interfaces for making advertising content creation more accessible for more people, right? I mean, today it's still, you know, learning some of these tools like Photoshop is still kind of, there's a high barrier to entry uh, in terms of creating compelling content uh, on, uh, on, on some of these various uh, image and video editing products and that uh, if we can kind of democratize that, right? Make it more accessible for more people so that anybody who can just, you know, have a conversation with uh, with an AI can create compelling content uh, that will also unleash another order of magnitude more creativity. And so, and then, gosh, I mean, uh, you know, we can just take a look at Twitter and all the cool like demos that people with you know not a lot of necessary coding experience building out these really rich apps and experiences uh, by kind of 
um, you know, linking these various AI products together, it, it is just mind blowing. And so, yeah, like, it, it, I, you know, people say, you know, AI might automate coding, but I actually think that the, uh, that, you know, actually with these tools, we'll see an order of magnitude inside. Well, I think we'll have the same number of coders, if not more coders now, because what you can do with coding or even rudimentary coding knowledge is just so much more greater. Like you used to need a team of developers to build a compelling app. Now a single developer can build an app. And that means the ROI of investing in learning coding is so much higher because you can now suddenly build these applications, very, uh, you know, very high impact, high ROI things with fairly minimal coding skills. And so um, I think we'll see more coders. And I think we'll see more creativity, more unimaginably cool applications because of the democratized nature that this, this technology provides for more humans. I, I think that that's great because it, it has definitely felt like the democratization of a lot of this has been directionally where we're going. And to see that, uh, especially recently, just expand, you know, we keep saying exponentially, but that's definitely what it feels like, the ability to create so much more with uh, so much fewer resources mm -hmm. or you know, so, so many fewer people involved that it really allows the kind of like you're saying the creativity to blossom because you don't need a full team now yeah. to put together something. It can be, you know, whatever you're thinking, you know, start to put that together, which I think is a great way to look at it and, and kind of yeah. opens up an, an exciting number of possibilities as far as like what is really possible when, when we start to put all of these tools out there. I mean, here's an example, right? So JK Rowling, 1990s, right? A single author, right? Became very, very wealthy by pr producing one book, right? Because of the leverage that distribution and writing, you know, provided, right? I think we're going to see the JK Rowling of apps. I think we're going to see the JK Rowling of games. I think we're going to see the JK Rowling of movies. Every single kind of digital thing or inter intellectually property driven thing that used to require teams uh, cannot be done arguably by a single person. And so you'll see single single creative types making money like JK Rowling did in the 1990s in other fields, like in advertising, like in media, like in gaming, because of, again, the democratizing nature of this technology to kind of make other forms of media, other forms of digital experiences more accessible in terms of creating those kinds of experiences. Yeah, so I think we're still in the very early innings, but it's, I'm very excited to see like the, you know, all the cool, all the cool stuff that people are going to make. Yeah. And, and then so rightly be rewarded for that, con for, 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 for that, you know, for, for that creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree with that. You know, zooming out just a little bit as well, you, you both mentioned some of your, uh, your background as we got into this discussion. And I'm interested as you've uh, built OmniKeys and especially as you two have come together as founders within, uh, co-founders within this company, you know, you come from very, very different places uh, and different backgrounds. You know, Matt, you mentioned you know, spending a lot of time at AT&T, you know, very large telecom and, uh, you know, Hikari uh, building multiple uh, companies and, uh, you know, venture backed startups and things like that. Tell us a little bit about the collaboration between that, you know, how, you know, how bringing some of your different backgrounds and different experiences has, uh, you know, helped uh, OmniKey, especially as you've gotten started. And what, what does the, the team and company currently look like as far as, you know, some of, some of that uh, experience goes? Yeah. And so on that note, I think that, you know, I think companies have co-founders at every stage, right? Like every stage when you go from one stage to another, I think, you know, there are pivotal people that you're needed uh, to keep the company and, and scale the company uh, to the next level. And so another person to mention here is also Aaron Serlop, who was also, uh, you know, the first, first, uh, uh, you know, long, longest-serving full-time employee at the company. You know, also joined um, uh, in twenty, you know, January full-time January twenty twenty-one. Uh, another, another key team, key team, team member. You know, there's this great, you know, there's this great quote from, or you know, this analogy from Jim Collins and great, good to great, right? Building a great company is all about getting the right people on the bus and getting um, the right uh, people in the right seats of the bus. And um, and uh, and then you know, the job of of, of, a, of a venture back CEO in particular is you know, keeping the company financed, keeping the fun company funded and, you know, making sure we have runway, setting the direction and then um, hiring great executives and leaders. And so, yeah, like <laughs> building great teams is probably one of my, outside of building great products and innovating, uh, you know, with, with all the cool uh, generative AI technologies uh, is one of my obsessions. And so we're always on the hunt for talent. And, and Matt also is really good at finding talent as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, Matt, I'll, I'll hand this over to you. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's such a different 
environment going from large corporation, you, you get a lot of understanding structure, getting tons of iterations of doing different jobs, moving all over every single skill you pick up along the way, even like public speaking and stuff, you get to, you start using all this, all these tools at a startup all of the time. But one thing you see when you start to get the Silicon Valley view, like Hikari's, it's such a different type of environment than any other business thing I've seen. You start to understand really that buzz in Silicon Valley that Hikari has, like it is so driven, so trying to accomplish the mission that all the still all the money still in Silicon Valley in in San Francisco and it really takes like that dedication and innovation that you don't get to see in other aspects of larger companies not located in the bay um it's it's really amazing to see that innovation and one of the best parts about Omniki too is we've met so many founders that come through as uh from from startups that are on that journey to grow their companies and we do business with a lot of them as they progress and you see you get to see that viewpoint and it is just it is an amazing thing that really really drives innovation and then you get to use all those skills when you join and and, and you really start to prioritize whatever is most important today a lot of the things that are challenging at a startup that you see is a lot of the administrative stuff that was taken care of before you are responsible for making sure all that gets accomplished every single day so the company <laughs> keeps moving yeah, and on that point, you know, the, there's two main streets in San Francisco. There's Mission Street and there's Market Street. And I like to, and I don't think that, I think that is some of a coincidence, like, because the Market Street was just where, you know, because San Francisco originally started off as a mission, right? A Spanish mission. The oldest building in uh, in, in San Francisco is, is a Catholic missionary from, from Spanish. And so, um, and then you have Market Street, which is where all the shops were. And so, uh, but I do think that, like, you know, San Francisco is the intersection of a mission and a market uh, and that the best companies, you know, it's either a market in search of a mission or a mission in search of a market. Uh, when you get those two things aligned, you know, when you, have a big, when you have a good mission, when you have a big mission in a big market, that's where a lot of value is created. Yeah, I think that's great. What, what have been some of the, the most exciting parts and, and maybe some of the most challenging parts as you've, you know, taken OmniKey from the very beginning to growing to where it is now? I imagine there's been a lot both from a startup perspective and then also, you know, as we've talked a lot about uh, the the AI uh, part of that and the current environment. So, you know, with so much changing, so much happening and so much potential, what have been some of the, the greatest, uh, the most exciting parts and, and some of the most challenging parts for you? Well, you know, uh, there's that famous quote, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And, and like... Um, I think startups is always plans and getting punched in the face. So like it's, you know, it's sometimes the plan works out and sometimes you're getting punched in the face and it's in a 50, 50 or 80, 40, you know, 80, 20 or something that's like, I don't know. There's, there's, there's high highs and low lows. Um, I don't know, Matt, you, you have something in particular in mind. Uh, like, <laughs> you try so hard to move so fast and accomplish the goals. And when it's so hard sometimes, and then, then good things start to hit. You just chip away at it, but it's, it, you work so hard to try to accomplish the goal. And it's, it's the beauty of it. It doesn't feel like a job at all. It's like, it's life, but the challenges can be, it's like when you're trying so hard and it doesn't come as fast as you want it to, I think is hard. Yeah. I think, you know, there's as, as a startup, right. You're trying to do something that's fundamentally very, like very, you know, almost impossible, right. Very, something very hard, building something from nothing. And I mean, that's just going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of fail, failure along the path there. So yeah, just taking that in stride and, and just keep on going, right? Like, uh, and, not, and not giving up, I think, is, I think is the key thing. And then I think also maintaining urgency. I think that's so key as well as a startup. You know, the thing that companies don't have time, ha, you know, don't really have is some combination of money and time, right? So you're always money constrained, you're always time constrained. And so that creates an incredible amount of pressure and stress and urgency to get things done as fast as possible. And things rarely happen as fast as you wish it would. And so dealing with that frustration while not lessening the pressure to making sure that we get things done, you know, with limited resources, with limited time, that is always the challenge and struggle of a startup is fighting against time, fighting against resources. Absolutely. I'm interested as you've, you know, you kind of touched on there and we, we touched on a little bit earlier, you know, obviously there's so many different things to do, so many possibilities, so many opportunities. You know, how do you take all of those things as far as the product goes, the company goes, the market goes in general and prioritize them? You know, what is your approach to saying, you know, here are the things that make sense for us. Here are the things that are, you know, are not making sense or, or maybe don't make sense right now. 
And, you know, how, how do you do that in order to kind of maintain that urgency that you talked about, but also make sure that you're, you know, creating the right things that are solving the problems uh, that, that makes sense for OmniKey and for, for your customer strategic? I think there's, you know, there's that, you know, it's kind of said, but, you know, being customer obsessed, right? Building really great products for customers. At the end of the day, I think, you know, the, their, you know, startups and technology in particular have this kind of trend, uh, have this tendency to get really excited about technology and they try to find the right applications for that technology versus it's almost always about, you know, working backwards from the customer and then trying to build the best experience for the customer. And maybe that integrates with, you know, if you can f find that ways of integrating technology to build the best customer product, then that's the magical moment. But, you know, not be, you know, hammer searching for nails, but really trying to build the best product out there for customers. And so, uh, I think that's a good orientation. I think the other orientation is obviously integrity, right? I think maintaining integrity and maintaining just, you know, ma maintaining uh, conviction for what you stand for uh, and, and uh, what you are willing or not willing to do, I think is, is very important. And, uh, and just and just having that, that right orientation uh, in terms of like what we're you know, focused on building, right? At the end of the day, given the constraints regarding time resources, you can only do so many things. And so really uh, maintaining that focus, I think, is key that we will, there will be great companies built in adjacent areas for sure. You know, there are many great companies built in the internet wave. Our goal is not to be all those companies. In fact, we can't be all the companies that can derive from generative AI. Our focus is to be one and the best of one of those applications. And as long as we can, like, if you try to be both Google and Salesforce and Facebook and Amazon, you're not going to be any of those things. But if you focus on being one of those things really well, then you can do it very well. And so similarly, there'll be many great opportunities in generative AI. And for us, it's about focusing and being okay. Like there will be other companies that will pursue this opportunity. They'll make a lot of money. That's fine. Like this is a high growth space. There's, it is not a fixed pie. It is a growing pie. And, and just focusing on our lane of what we exactly, you know, who our customers are, what is the pain point we're trying to solve? What is the technology and the product that we're trying to build? You know, and just staying focused, I think it's very important. And one thing too is, um... We've been primarily sales-led growth. I mean, we, we use a, a, a number of different channels that bring in leads. Um, digital, app, we use our own product, but sales-led growth is great because you get the feedback from tons and tons of customers that a lot of these new startups don't have access to because they're trying to do product-led growth. Um, we are selling to a, a larger cust like a, a larger customer segment mid-market space a lot of times right now as we keep um, enhancing our product. But you get those iterations of hearing and I can't imagine as you, I'm still so operational with customers is the farther you get away from the customer, you, you stop hearing that feedback and it really drives you understanding the market and trying to like, you know, give feedback to the team on what do you think you're hearing? <laughs> yeah. I, I and the second thing we get is advertising data, Kyle. So the second thing is we have that feedback from the customers plus advertising data, which is it's a, it's a huge moat that a lot of customers that are just doing generative AI with no data and no sales team that's not getting feedback, they're, they have no idea what the, you know, they're hearing out there. I, I think those are some really, really important points, uh, you, especially being qualitatively close to the customers and users like you're talking about and, and coupling that quantitatively with the data uh, so that you can validate a lot of you know, what you're seeing and what you're understanding uh, is correct. And, and I think that's, that's awesome. What advice would you both have for anybody looking to uh, start in any of these types of roles? You know, we, we've talked about uh, you know, getting into uh, generative AI or you know, getting into to marketing or really even starting a business. But if you were to look at you know, any of these things, you know, what would be some of the advice that, uh, that you would have for anybody interested kind of in this domain uh, where, where you're both working? I think the first one is just to uh, build great products and just build a great brand around building great products. Right? I think I think sometimes, especially, uh, there's this over kind of uh, uh, there's over thinking of regarding moats, right? Is there a moat in this business or not a moat in this business? Et cetera, like, and it just stops people from like, or like, why wouldn't Google do this? Or why would they just like never get started? Like at the end of the day, like people don't do many things for many reasons. Big companies don't do many things for many reasons because of innovators still online, the scale they're operating, and a lot of internal or external distractions. Instead of you know like just 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 build great products, build a great brands around great products, and, and if you just focus on even just that, you can build a lot of value. Even if it 
doesn't end up being, you know, doesn't have network effects or things like this. Um, you know, the perfect example, especially actually in, in, in an environment that's quickly changing, like generative AI. If you think of like the winners, the early winners in the 1990s and the internet wave, you know, Yahoo being an example of this, Yahoo didn't really have a mode outside of brand, right? And it became one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable company in the world, just largely on its brand power. And so, you know, especially in a world, in, in an environment that's constantly changing where there's a lot of noise, uh, you can build a great company around just building a great product and building a brand brand around that product. I think the other advice is to think strategically about what the choke points are. Uh, so I know this is now, that's, that's one point. And now the other thing, you know, this is kind of the flip, the flip, the flip response is, you know, think of where the value will be captured in the world where there is generative AI, right? Like what kind of things does that make scarce? What kind of things does that monetize? So, you know, I'm sitting in San Francisco and, you know, San Francisco is a city built off the uh, California gold rush, right? And, uh, but who made money in the California gold rush? I mean, uh, yes, some gold miners did. You know, you can say the jeans companies, you know, Gap and Levi's also, you know, founded in San Francisco, made some money. But actually, the most amount of money was built, uh, made by Vanderbilt, right? And Vanderbilt made the most money because he controlled the, the shipping lanes from San Francisco to New York. And, you know, he took a third of all the gold that was being, you know, taken from San Francisco to New York. And, and why, did he, why was he able to control that sea lane? It's because he controlled the canal in Panama, right, in Nicaragua, and he built that canal. And so, um, you know, actually, the most, you know, the, the funny thing about the value that was created from the California gold rush was actually captured in Panama. Like, that was the choke point. Panama was a choke point for the gold rush. And so, um, and, and Vanderbilt made, you know, became the first American tycoon, right, billionaire uh, from from that opportunity. And so, you know, think outside the box, think creativity, creatively, you know, there's a lot of hype around generative AI, but just think more expansively about, you know, what is the equivalent of that potentially in, in the uh, ecosystem we're in today? We obviously think it's, you know, in the intersection of personalized experiences and data and, uh, and advertising and attention. And, but, but there are clearly a lot of other opportunities. Yeah, and I don't have that. The experience of Hikari has a couple of times now where he's taken nothing, absolutely nothing, and built it into something. That first early days of finding those very, very first customers. I will say, though, I took the jump from a large company into to the startup. And for the people out there that ever are thinking about that, that have that entrepreneurship drive and, and, and passion for this, it's do it earlier than later and, and just take the chance. That's my feedback on that. That's great feedback. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. You know, this has been uh, an absolutely great conversation, Matt and Hikari, and I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think everybody who listens to it is going to learn an incredible amount. Before we wrap up, are there any, is there anything that uh, we talked about or didn't get a chance to talk about that, that you wanted to add in? Well, I think book recommendations, you know, are great. I, 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 you know, some of the recent books that I read lately, I think are, you know, quite compelling, especially when it comes to survey. I, I mean, so recently, you know, there's a great book called After On by Rob Reed about it was actually a book about a potentially sentient AI that kind of gets generated actually at a big tech company and then it goes and runs wild. I think it's very, you know, very kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually about half a decade old now, but a, good, a great book, very, very fun read. Uh, I like Chip War by Chris Miller about the semiconductors um, uh, and the semiconductor industry that kind of underpins this technology. And I think uh, this book called The Alignment Problem by Brian Christian is also very good. A lot of great uh, interviews with leading researchers and scientists regarding, you know, how does one build, you know, AI that is aligned with with human, uh, you know, human incentives, and so, and, and you know, with human control, and so th those three books in particular, I'd like to potentially recommend. And then regarding like products that I really enjoy uh, using right now that I've been playing around with, I think Langchain is one of the coolest products. There's so many cool like uh, applications that again, minimal amounts of coding skills you can build. Uh, 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 and then I also really think vector uh, vector databases are very cool with Pinecone and VV8. Um, and so th those, I don't know, th those are um, promo with document. These are some of the technologies that I've also been playing around recently that I think are probably cool to look into. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll put the links to those in the show notes because I, I think that uh, both the book recommendations and some of the technologies are uh, absolutely great to for everybody to go take a look at. Um, Matt, be interested in, in yours if you have anything that You've been reading uh, or listening to or watching recently and, and maybe any products that you've been using that you want to. Sure. So one I've started uh, listening to on Audible is competing in the age of AI strategy and leadership when algorithms and networks run the world. 
and just because leadership now everything is is completely AI driven, I'm trying to get a better understanding of some of the underlying technologies that Hikari understands so well. I mean, you hear network effects, learning effects, all of these things. So I'm trying to scale up on that. The second one is Ben's Bytes is my favorite daily newsletter for AI. It gives you like 10 cool tools every day. So all these are built there. And then I'll go test out if I have a couple, like an hour or something, I'll go test a couple of tools at night or other times and then keep trying to skill up and learning different products. Perfect. Yeah, we'll put the links to, to those in the show notes as well because I think those are great recommendations. Awesome. Well, uh, Matt and Hikari, where can people go to find out more about uh, you, more about the things that you're working on and, and anything else? www.omnikey.com, O-M-N-E-K-Y.com. And you can find Hikari Senju on LinkedIn and myself. Perfect. Well, we'll put the links to those in the show notes as well so that um, people can either connect with you or definitely check out OmniKey as well. If, uh, so awesome. Matt and Hikari, this has been a great conversation. Appreciate it. Appreciate all of your insights and uh, all of the knowledge that you've shared because uh, this has been really, really insightful from start to finish. Thank you so much, Kyle. All right. And thank you everybody for listening. And we will talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, Product by Design. Thanks again.